uh, both Angie and I have a lot of family members here. They just decided to come for the weekend, and uh, we're glad they are here. Uh, my my favorite sister is here. Of course, she's my only sister, and uh, her husband Tommy and uh, their grandson Alexander, and then all of Angie's crew. I guess they're where. If you're part of Angie's crew, raise your hand. Look at there. They're all over here. Come on, guys, raise your hand. Big old Archer crew. Yeah, they came over to my house last night and wouldn't leave, so I just finally went to bed. I don't know what time they left, but it's good to have them here today. Glad that you're with us today. I'm going to start my sermon with a series of scriptures, and there is a common thread running through these verses. See if you can pick it out. Psalm 103, verses 15 and 16 says, As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind blows over it, and it's gone. Job 14. Man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Amen, man. He comes forth like a flower and then fades away. Isaiah chapter 40. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And then Matthew chapter 6, Jesus asked, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast unto the oven, will he not much more clothe you? you know, God uses many word pictures in the Bible to show us what we're like. For example, he compares us to sheep in a field. And we're like sheep, you know. We're, sometimes we're kind of dumb and we do stupid things. He also compares us to stars in the universe or to clay in the potter's hand. Several times in the Bible, as in the passages we just read, God likens us unto flowers. Really? Flowers? Well, I know some of you are as delicate as a flower, but flowers? But you know, it's true. Like flowers, we're only here for a season. What do flowers do? Well, they bloom in the springtime and they're beautiful. Their fragrance fills the air and they bring us a lot of joy. And that way too, we're like flowers because we're only going to be here for a season. But you know what? While we're here, we should fill our world with fragrance and with God's joy. And that really brings me to my message for today. It's one of the most frequently asked questions that people ask ministers, and it's this question. What can I do to make this world a better place? And believe you me, this world needs to be a better place. huh? It really does. So what can we do to make it a better place? The best answer I have found for that question is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Peter writes and says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Heavenly Father, I pray a blessing on your word. I pray that it would speak to our hearts, 
challenge us and change us. Lord, make us into the people that you've called us to be, and we'll praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Ed Young, senior pastor of the Second Baptist Church in Houston, a huge church. One day, several years ago, a young ministerial intern asked the great pastor, Dr. Young, what does a pastor do? I mean, really, what do you do all day? He replied, that's not the primary question. What we do is important, but what we do doesn't matter as much as who we are. I've got to be a strong Christian before I can do effective ministering. And then Pastor Young said, being always comes before doing. And that's noteworthy, church. Being always comes before doing. This passage makes the same point. Making the world a better place depends more on our character than it does on our actions. What we do is important, but it isn't what we do, but who we are that is most important. So who then are we? Well, according to this passage, number one, we are obtainers. Look at how he begins. Beloved, we have obtained the love and salvation of God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, he called us beloved. The phrase beloved or dear friends is really a weak translation of the Greek word agapatos, which is from the Greek word agape, meaning a deep divine love. It is the love of God. So Peter calls us dearly, divinely loved ones. Now, you need to remember that Scripture is a love letter written from God to us. These words aren't just from Peter to his readers. They are words from God to you and me. And God is calling us here His loved ones, His dear friends. That's pretty significant. So this past week I've been reading some passages in the Bible that help me visualize God's love for me. One passage is found in Psalms 145. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Well, I wonder, have you experienced the richness of God's great love? How about Zephaniah 3.17? The Lord your God is with you. He will calm you even during a wedding. He will calm you with His love. God's love is amazing. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And that is God's greatest demonstration of love. It was sending His own Son to die for us on the cross. And you know what, church? When you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior... God adopts you as one of His own children. And He makes us everlasting citizens of His heavenly kingdom. It's kind of a package deal. We receive Christ. He adopts us into the family of God. And we receive heaven as our home. We become citizens of heaven. As a result of that, we become strangers and pilgrims in the world that we're now living in. What does he say in this verse? Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims 
in this world. I love what Vance Havner once said. We are not citizens of earth traveling to heaven. As believers, we are citizens of heaven traveling through this earth. The words Peter uses imply that we are people traveling in a foreign country. Now, when you travel abroad, you've really got to be careful about some things, don't you? You've got to be careful about your food and your water. You have to change your currency. You speak a different language. You carry a passport. And you never, ever forget that you are an American in a foreign land. Well, the problem with so many of us today is that we've settled down in this world. We've become comfortable here. We've got to thinking that this world is our home. But as believers, it's not. I'm reminded of that great old song that we used to sing a long time ago. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Jesus said of his followers, they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. Dear friends, we have obtained the love of God. And because of that, we are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Listen to me. This is who we are. We are not citizens of earth. We're citizens of heaven. That's who we are. Number two, we are abstainers. We are obtainers of God's grace and consequently abstainers. Since we are pilgrims in this world, there are some worldly activities and habits that we are to avoid. Look at verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against your soul. The word abstain means to keep constantly holding oneself back from fleshly lust as a constant, ever-present duty. Now call me old-fashioned, but I'm here to tell you, our world would be better off and it would be a much better place if Christians would just abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Or let me put it like this. Wouldn't it be great if Christians just started acting like Christians? I may get myself in trouble, but today I really don't care. Right? I'll be real blunt with you and, and, and truthful and honest with you. If there is no difference between your lifestyle and your unsaved neighbor's lifestyle, you're the person who has the problem, not them. Because we are to be different. Listen to me as beloved children of God. As aliens and pilgrims in this world, we are to abstain. We are to abstain from sex before marriage. 
Matter of fact, we are to abstain from sex outside of marriage. We abstain from going to bars and nightclubs. We abstain from drinking and drugging. We abstain from foul language and dirty jokes. We abstain from violent, sex-filled, profanity-laced movies. We abstain from the sinful desires that war against the soul. Because this world is not our home. And we are different. It's not that we're better. It's just that we've been saved. And as the redeemed of Jesus Christ, we need to be living a different life than the world. And I'm going to say it again because it's important. If there is no difference between your lifestyle and the world's lifestyle, you're the one who has a problem because God has called you to be different. That word war means a constant, active, aggressive conflict. And it's going on within our souls. You see, our real battle is not with people around us. Our real battle is with the passions inside of us. D.L. Moody was right when he said, I have more trouble with D.L. Moody than with any man I know. And I'll be real honest with you. I have more trouble with Will Harmon than with any other person I know. Those temptations are there. The passions are real. But as believers, we are abstainers. It doesn't matter if everybody else is doing it. Dad, remember when you told me that? Because listen, you're not everybody else. And then number three, we are explainers. Look at verse 12. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. This verse implies that in addition to being obtainers and abstainers, we must be explainers. We should live happy, holy, pure, godly, Christ-like lives before our friends at work and at school and in the community. We should radiate with hope, which nobody else has. And when they ask us, we should be ready to give them a reason for the hope that is within us. We should be able to explain to them the difference. That Jesus has made the difference. That He has forgiven us of our sins and turned our life around. I'll never forget the Saturday morning when I answered the parsonage door in Pine Bluff. Uh, the church owned a parsonage. It was on the church property. There was the church building. There was the parking lot. Then there was the parsonage. So if people went to church, they thought they could go straight to the parsonage, you know. It was just open to everybody. And uh, But that Saturday morning early, I had a knock on the door. Standing at the door was a member of my congregation. His name was Joe. Not an alias. His, his real name was Joe. Joe was tall, smart, fit. Joe had a beautiful wife and two great kids. 
He was just a few years older than I was, and he worked as an accountant at the bank. Joe and I had played a lot of golf together in Pine Bluff and become good friends. I'll never forget seeing him there the other side of the door. He, he, his body started trembling and shaking, and tears started streaming down his eyes. And he said, Rev, that's what they called me in Pine Bluff, Rev, the, the Rev. He said, Rev, I need you to pray for me. He then told me the story. He had, he had got up early that morning and couldn't see clearly out of one of his eyes. And it really was alarming to him. So he called his friend, who was an eye doctor, who met him at the office and upon an examination, immediately called another doctor friend in Little Rock and set up an appointment for later that day. They were afraid it might be cancer. Well, to make a long story short, it was cancer. And they had to remove Joe's eye. Now, guys, that's traumatic. For a young man to lose his eye, it was tough for him and tough for his family. But I'm here to tell you, Joe kept the faith. He never gave up. He always stayed positive, And he was spiritually strong through a very difficult, about a year later, one day, Joe stopped at the church office and came in, had a smile on his face. He, he just had to tell me what had happened that day. A man that he worked with at the bank had come into Joe's office and said, Joe, I've been watching you closely. The man knew that Joe professed to be a Christian and that he went to church. But after Joe lost his eye, this guy really wanted to watch his life and see if Joe truly had a relationship with God. So the man watched him. And what he saw was the real deal. Because Joe was the real deal. And as a result of that, that man that day received Christ as his Savior. Peter said, Live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good works and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Most commentators think that that phrase in the day of visitation refers to the day of visitation of His salvation. My point today is very simple. To make this world a better place, we need better people. Does that make sense? To have better people, we must direct them to the Lord Jesus Christ because He's the only one who can make a person from bad to good. In order for us to direct them to Jesus Christ, we must obtain His salvation. We must abstain from sinful lust and desires. We must live such good lives in front of them that we show them through our life and by our words the love of Jesus. And you know what, church? We do it one person at a time. Not many of us are far-famed evangelists who can win hundreds of people to Jesus Christ with a single sermon. Most of us simply influence other people one person at a time. But never, ever underestimate the power of winning just one person. Because listen to me, every person 
Everybody matters to God. My wife loves to go to the beach. That's that's her favorite place. Uh, we're not going to get to go to the beach this summer. We went to the beach last night. In fact, for the next 14 years, we went to the beach last night. I don't know. I'd rather go to the mountains, but my family loves the beach. So, but I, I enjoy the beach, and every time I go to the beach, I'm res- reminded of one of my favorite stories I've told you before, but this is a great story. It's about that little boy walking down the beach throwing starfish back into the ocean before they die. Millions of starfish had washed the shore, but the boy was just walking down the beach, picking them up one at a time, throwing them back in before they die. There was a grumpy old man, had to be a deacon in a Baptist church. He was coming the opposite direction, saw what the little boy was doing, and ridiculed his actions. He said, Kid, there's millions of starfish. You can't save them all. You can't even save a fraction of them. Look at them. What does it matter? As the little boy bent down, he picked up one more starfish. He looked at it, and as he threw it back into the ocean, he said, it mattered to that one. People matter to God. You matter. You matter. Because God loved you so much, because I love you so much, I'm here to tell you, you need a relationship with Jesus. If you've never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I invite you to come today and do that. If you're away from God, you need to come and recommit your life to Him. And then for the rest of us who are here, I tell you, this is who we are. Obtainers. Abstainers. Explainers. Let's come and ask God for His help to do those things in our own life. People matter to God. They should matter to us. You know, you probably have people in your own family. I know you have neighbors who are not right with the Lord. If Jesus came back today, there's a lot of people in our lives who wouldn't go to heaven. You know what? They matter to God. And if they really matter to us, I think we would start praying for them. I can't think of a better time or place to do that than right here today during this invitation. So let's bring these requests to the Lord and ask God to minister to the hearts of our friends and family members who are unsaved. We're going to have a a prayer time at the altar, and I invite you to come. Bryson and, and Candace are with us today. Bryson is going to leave this week and go to the West Tulsa Free Will Baptist Church to become their new youth pastor. That's a good church, buddy. The pastor is a friend of mine, and we're praying for you and Candace as you go. And during this invitation, I'd like for you guys to come to the altar. We want to put our hands on you and pray for you and ask God's blessing on your life and your ministry. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you'd bless this time of prayer at the altar. Lord, if there's anyone here who is not right with you, I pray that they would come, either receive you as Savior or recommit their life to you.